Welcome to What CEOs Talk About. Do you wonder what CEOs talk about behind closed doors? How they bring their vision to reality? How do they overcome and succeed through adversity? We share that and so much more with each episode. Now, let's get started with the show. Hello, this is Martin Hunter, your host of the What CEOs Talk About show, where we talk about translating strategy into frontline operations. Past guests include Mark Raffin from Negotiations Ninja, Ryan McKenzie from True Earth, and a whole bunch more, but I don't have an hour just to name all the people that have been on the show before. This episode is brought to you by Urgio. Urgio is Latin for to urge, a strong desire to drive change, stimulate thought, insight, feeling, encourage action. Urgio provides fractional COO services to move you through growing pains so that your company can flourish and profit. Mona, you have worked with visionary CEOs. How important is it to have an integrator implementer? Well, it's, it's obviously vital that you have somebody who can see down the road, who can, who can look forward and ha- have a clear idea of what they'd like to see happen. But as always, there's always people that need to be responsible for making that happen. And none of us do this alone. We're all part of a team. And any, any vision that ever has been realized in, since the millennia is because somebody had a vision and a number of people got on the bandwagon and helped realize the vision. Good. Thank you. So if you're that visionary CEO or you're the, you are a VC and one of the CEOs that, of the companies that lead in your portfolio and you want to get that idea across the finish line or you want to monetize their ideas, go to urgeo.ca or email them at info at urgeo.ca. They are that fractional COO services uh, that is going to uh, help that visionary CEO get that uh, idea across the finish line. So Urgeo has worked with a multitude of companies from SaaS, CPG, mining, transportation, startups, um, all the way to multinational corporations. So speaking of translating strategies into frontline operations, Mona, Thank you very much for being on the show. Mona has 30 years in mining. All of it is in operation. Now she's a strategic advisor for junior uh, mining corporations. She's also an in-house mining consultant for some of these. She is the chair of the board of Women in Mining BC, and that's where we met five years ago. I can't remember. Six? Yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah. And an unofficial crazy cat lady. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mona, what is the meat in the middle? What do you want to talk about on the show? What's the title of it? Well, as with any with any vision, the importance of getting a great team together to help realize the vision. Okay. So, how to execute on the vision? Let's call it that. Cool. All right. I'm going to write that down. So Mona, tell us about your story. How does it start? Well, um, just I've been in mining for a long time and my first foray into it as a temp um, gave me a taste of it and made me want to be part of mining. And I, I think the mining industry in general is fascinating because there's the reality of of actually building a mine and having it operate is the the chances of that are actually very remote Mm -hmm. like like one discovery in a million becomes a mine and so when you when you actually look at the mines that have been built around the world that was somebody's vision or a team of people's vision to make that happen and the many many years and the hundreds of people literally involved to build those mines um, to me is, is really inspiring. And I had the good fortune of the first mine that I worked at was uh, a world leader. And I didn't know that because it's the only mine I ever worked at. So I was talking to somebody recently, actually, who um, I actually worked with their dad at the mine. No way. And uh, 
Yeah, it was really interesting to talk to him and, and go, he has great memories of it. And so, for example, that particular mine, um, at the time, you can, name, you, you can name it if you want. You're more. Oh, okay. Well, it was the loop and gold mine with, okay. uh, with Echo Bay mines. And it's, uh, was in the North of the, um, not North of the Arctic circles, 60 miles South of the Arctic circle, but, but far North fly in, fly out operation. And we had 35% of our workers were from the Inuit com communities. So mm -hmm. Cambridge Bay, Copper Mine, we'd fly them in. And I thought that's what, that's what you did mm -hmm. as an example. So I, this person I was talking to just this past week, um, he, his dad led that. His dad was, was pretty critical. His name was Doug Willie for making that happen. Wow. And because it's the right thing to do, it just, it just makes sense. But again, for me, Seeing that and Lupin's focus on safety and their focus on loss control, their focus on risk management, um, you know, it was a very clean, well-kept mine. I mean, every, every place has, has its issues, and I'm mm -hmm. sure somebody would come along and say, oh, but there was this. Like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. But generally speaking, when I talk to people, because over the years, mining's a pretty small industry. Um, when I talk to people that have been to the mine, they always speak very highly of it. Mm. And so that makes me proud to have worked there and to work with the people that were there because it would, that wouldn't have been possible without mm. the contributions of the people, right? The, the team there. So that, um, was your, so that was your first taste of mining and yeah. the, the pie was so delicious and you're like, I want more of this. I, I want um, Partly. Partly. I mean, it's just so interesting. Yes. Right. Like all of the different aspects that go into mining to me and all of the pieces that have to come together. And it turns out I've made some of my best friends of my life working in this industry. And I wouldn't have met them if I, if I hadn't have, and a lot of them are geologists. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Rock lovers. For those who don't know geologists, if there's a geologist listening, I'm sorry. Uh <laughs> Ooh, look at that rock. Ooh, look at that rock. Hey, yeah. look, where you're, look where you're going. You almost stepped in the ravine there. <laughs> They've oh, got this. Yeah. Uh, just, well, yeah. It's how great, many? <laughs> it's been great for me. It's oh, great when me. I was in charge of safety and security in mines, how many times did we go and have to, I don't want to say rescue, but going, how did you? Well, I saw this vein and I just kept going and going and going and going. And there's like, okay, it's dark. You're in the middle of the jungle in nowhere, Central America. And you decided to forget your communication device. And now you've got an entire team looking after you. So uh, I love geologists. You guys are so focused on, on rocks, but absolutely. I mean, mining is, my daughter was born in New Caledonia. So there's, I agree with you. So, okay, back to your story, because it's important. So your loop in mine, you started there, you graduated, you went there. And then what's next? What happens next? Well, I had the good fortune when I worked at Echo Bay. I started off working in the head office okay, and then had the opportunity to go work in Lupin. And I was at Lupin for five years. So mm -hmm. fly in, fly out operation, five years. I was one of 14 women and 300 men, give or take. So we um, need to park that because I want to talk about women in mining. I want to talk about women in the mining industry, how leading it. So I'm sure that women were not part of the vision of the mining industry way back when, still today, right? So we'll park that because okay. I, I want you to talk about that later on. So you're one of 14 and sorry for interrupting. That's okay. Uh, then I had the opportunity to take a job out here in Vancouver. Okay. And so I worked with the exploration arm of Echo Bay for two years. And that was fascinating for me because working at the mine, I had to liaise with the exploration team. And I'll have to admit, they drove me crazy mm -hmm. working at the mine. Um, so it was great for me to go and work with the exploration team to understand why they were making certain demands and why they needed things in a certain mm -hmm. way. But I didn't understand that while I was at the mine. 
Mm. So a, yeah, important to understand both sides of the story, right? right? So and and sometimes until you live it, you can't you can't understand it. So and I mean, I think that comes back in part to realizing a vision, right? Like it's it's knowing the pieces that go together to get you to an endpoint. I mean, often a vision nobody's ever done before, right? But if you have an understanding about how some of the pieces fit together, I think it it makes it easier. If that makes any sense. How many times have you heard me say singularity of purpose, right? Yeah. So having singularity of purpose. So lesson number one for the for the CEOs and the VCs, when you have a company that has a decentralized workforce, and what, what I mean by that is there's a corporate office somewhere and there's one or numerous operations where you have a general manager or something else. The corporate office views what their needs are. Their needs are, and then the general manager goes, where there is that? So let's bring it to here. So how do you bridge that gap, right? So let's talk about bridging that gap of how do you execute on that vision? So in your thought, what's the, what's the first step? What do people who are listening and they go, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm not really executing on my vision. What's the, what's the first piece of advice you give, Mona? Well, I like to look at, um, you know, kind of really look at the vision and then try and work backwards. Okay. Okay. So I want to build a mine. What are, what's got to go into that? And you kind of work backwards. And, you know, in our case, um, you need to have a resource and then you need to do more drilling for it to become a reserve. And then you need some engineers and some other really smart people to go, okay, here's how we can build a mine around this. And then you need to get people to design the mine and then you need to get people to build it. And, and going along with that is permitting and engaging with local communities and hiring a team and, and bringing all these people together. So it's a huge undertaking. So break it, breaking it down and going like, well, at the beginning, what do I need right now to get me through the next six months the next year. And then look at my team. Who do I need? Do you know, do I hire somebody? Do I do I bring a consultant in? Do I hire an employee? And all of those things are are um they're very unique, I think, to whatever enterprise you're working on. And that's why I think it's important for like so for example, if you're an entrepreneur, getting some advisors around you. Correct. Who, who have some different experiences, who you trust mm-hmm. and who trust you. Um, and then having that, that open, honest conversation about, well, how are we actually going to get there? Mm. And what do we really need to do that? First, and number then, one. Yeah. Like you said, first, so I, I'm number one, have a clear vision. Know what you, I mean, mining is pretty simple. I mean, I shouldn't say mining is simple. Every business is simple. What do I want to achieve? Okay. So mining, I want to extract metal from this piece of land. So a lot of people put vision into huge, we want to be the best, blah, 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 that it, one, you can't say it without holding your breath. And then number two, it doesn't connect with anybody. So I think lesson number one, have a very simple vision. I want to extract the metal in this kilometer square, number one. That's lesson number one. Number two that you've mentioned that I captured is understanding what functional areas need to be filled. And number three is fill those seats with bums. Oh, with... with The right bums. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and part of it too, so I, um, a couple of years ago, a friend of mine recommended that I read Start With Why. That would be me, probably. <laughs> no, we actually, it was a girlfriend. It was another, it was a girlfriend. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Okay. You and I have talked about it, but Start With Why. And I mean, I, I think after, you know, reading that, I, I realized I think there's a fundamental part for me of that. But, but uh, you know, if you if whatever undertaking you're, you're exploring, it's like, I think that the core of it is why, because that's where your passion comes mm-hmm. from. And during the tough times, the passion is what's going to get you through. Absolutely. Right? Like, like the ultimate belief in where you're going is what will get you through the hard times. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And there will always be hard times. We all know that, right? We've all been there. So uh, let's let's break down the word execute. You've been an operator for many years. When we talk about execution, what comes to mind? Um, well, again, like, you know, working with the team to come up with the plan. Okay. And then sometimes for the leadership, trusting your team to execute on your plan and and what's that check-in look like like how does managing that progress look like right because i find that sometimes and i've been guilty of this myself so i am i am uh, speaking of what i know but sometimes you're just so you're so into it and you so want it to work that you want to control every aspect of it and then thumb on everything yeah and when I've done that in the past, it's, it's, I, luckily I've had people come back to me and go like, you know, we actually know what we're doing. <laughs> um, like, you know, I'll come to you and talk, like, we'll check in, right. And, and, and work out issues together and, and trying to come to solutions together, but. PFO. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I actually, you know, I got this. So so that's, uh, that was an important lesson for me to learn. Wow. I literally just went that with one of my clients this morning. It's just like, okay. He came to realize that he says, I can't, I can't work 18-hour days anymore. And it's unfortunate that people have to hit this breaking point as entrepreneurs or general managers or VPs. You go, you can only control what you can control. It, the, and the more you delegate, the more freedom you get, right? I talk about Tim Ferriss's um, deal, direction, elimination, automation, liberation. So the more you eliminate decision-making, that's you, the more, I shouldn't say eliminate, delegate yeah. decision-making, the better. And yet you're like, oh, well, well, what's that decision? Well, define what level of authority that you want to have. That's what a lot of people have a hard time is defining yeah. the level of authority. Why well, don't make want make, I don't want her to make that decision. Okay, why not? Because I do that decision. Okay, so give me a good reason. <laughs> like, is this because not? Okay, give me a good reason why Julie can't make decisions that, you know, have a $5,000 spectrum. She can't spend more than $5,000 a month. Oh. Why is that? Why not? I got a story for you. All right. Shoot. I worked, I worked for a company that at one point, this thankfully this this period of time didn't last very long, but at one point, um, it was I worked in a branch office and the dictate came down from head office that the office manager, who's a, a senior consultant, you know, somebody with 20 plus years experience, absolute ex- expert in their field, but they're like the managing um, partner, so to speak, mm-hmm. of the office, were told that they had to approve every expenditure over $25. Now, that person would charge out $125 an hour. So as a way to control costs, somebody thought, Having a person who charges out at $150 an hour should be looking at every spend over $25. Wow. Like, That's I mean, a- that was years and years ago, but like, I just, I remember being part of that team and just going, this is crazy. Negative ROI, minus, well, <laughs> a, a minus 200 neg- ROI well, on that is just. Well, I mean. Part of, you know, getting back to our converse, like the executing the vision, I mean, a big part of it is like what I try to do, if I can, is get people to work on the things that they're really good at and that brings the most value to the business and then fill in the gaps, right? Like, because you need a, you need a a diverse team, people that are capable of doing different things, complementing each other and making sure you've got all of the bases covered as much as you can tell. Um, but like, to me, that, that was a crystal clear moment of this is not the way to do things. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, that, that, I mean, to me, that comes down to trust. Correct. And if you don't trust somebody to make those decisions, then they're either not good for the organization or there's something else wrong. But, but there's a point in which the only way to delegate is to trust that the people that are making the decisions are capable and have the authority to make those decisions. And if they don't, why not? Like you said. I like when you said, if, if they don't trust, there's something wrong with the organization and it's with the person who's not trusting. So as a leader, lead means lead to do first, right? And so to lead is not to tell people from behind what to do. Sometimes it is, mm -hmm. but to lead is to do first. That's the definition. So as a leader, how can other people trust you when you don't trust them first? Mm -hmm. So you're bringing people on to your vision. You're paying them to do something. You want to be transactional or transformational? So if you really want to believe, if you don't want to be just talking smack, then you trust first, but you set parameters. And a lot of people forget, well, I, I don't want to, well, set the parameters in which you can trust. Trust is something that you build and it's built chemically through oxytocin and serotonin. And a lot of people forget that set the parameter in which you want to trust. Mm -hmm. I don't want to trust blindly. Of course, who's asking you to trust blindly? Yeah. We're not saying that. We're saying tr trust within parameters. So it's really the leader's fault to not trust. So when did you, uh, when did you get the understanding? Because all of this, I'm assuming when you're younger, you're learning, you're, you're younger in your, in your position, in your professional career and everything like that. When was the moment that you go, wow, really? It's really critical that we need to, execute on the vision and not just do, 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 do. Do you remember that time when it happened or? Well, you know, I probably actually was a witness to that when I was a kid. Mm. I mean, you know, like my father was an inventor. He and my grandfather held some patents mm -hmm. for uh, work they did on farm equipment. And the idea was to make a farmer's life easier, which they did. Oh, no way. And so watching my father and my grandfather build a business based on this vision that wow. they could make life easier. And, it, you know, mm -hmm. it started off making life easier for them. And then other farmers would see what they had or what they'd done. And they're like, hey, you know, like, I and next thing you know, one thing led to another. And, and for most of my childhood, um, my dad had that business. It was on our farm in the shop. Um, you know, he had three or four people working for him and he was farming on the side. You know, it just, I mean, now my dad is, it was also the master of, of not being a great delegator. <laughs> I will say <laughs> love him to bits as I did or still do, but yeah. he was, I worked, I worked in the shop with him. Um, so, so sometimes it was, yeah, but you know what, like still like seeing them do that, right. Which is like, th that takes a lot of courage and tenacity. And, and I mean, they were, you know, brilliant. I mean, my father and my grandfather were, you know, just their ability to think through problems and, and come up with solutions was really quite remarkable. So, so having had that, you know, in my DNA, I think it's, it's carried. Oh yeah. Through, right like it's i see it now that you uh, talk about your 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 dad and your granddad i mean knowing who you are and what you do i mean the apple doesn't fall far from the tree so <laughs> <laughs> you're a problem solver i mean that's your yeah. job yeah i uh i i come by that naturally and it drives some people crazy uh it's true mm -hmm. sometimes they don't want the problem solved uh and sometimes it takes me a while to figure that Somewhat out why, why, why would somebody not want the problem solved? Tell me. Well, because I think that sometimes people think they want to solve it themselves. Like they, they want to, or they want to come up with a solution on their own for whatever reason. Okay. You know, I think we all have, like, there's times where we all get advice from people, but we don't necessarily want to take it yet. Mm -hmm. 
So sometimes I, I might offer advice too quickly. Sometimes I think mm. people have to get to a place where they're ready to hear it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and I think you learn that over time. Some of these controlling people that we're talking about. Well, and, it, and I mean, you know, like I think when you're controlling it, it's because you care very deeply mm-hmm. about what's happening. And so it's hard to let some of that go too, right? True, true. And it, it's like, how do you, you know, as an advisor, it, it's trying to help people get to, okay, you want to get to this place. So how do we get there? Here's some ideas. Okay. So we've got, so we've got trust. So on execution, right? So I'm, I mean, since the day I was 17, when we did uh, mission planning, situation, mission, execution, support, logistics, command and control. I mean, I, I learned this, I was 17 years old and I still apply my military uh, mission planning. So execution is a big key, right? We know what the situation is. We know what the mission is. Execution. How do you connect all of that? So you get trust. What does trust look like? And, I, and that's, we're going to close the door and trust after this one. But for all the listeners and people who are watching, what does it look like? What your management consultant, what do you tell your general managers, your leaders, what does trust look like? What do they need to do behaviorally? Well, I, certainly in the times that I've seen this and certainly lived through it myself, it's you have to take a step back and go, well, why don't you trust that person? Mm-hmm. Like, why don't you believe that they should have the authority and the responsibility to make those decisions? Okay. And you've got to be pretty honest with yourself about that. And sometimes it means that you have to, to, to move the person to a different position or let them go from the company. And it's, sometimes it's not that person's fault. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're just not a great fit. Mm, okay. But whatever it is, as the leader, it's your job. Like your, it's your job to build the team and mm-hmm. make sure you have the team that can execute. So A, it's got to be people you trust. And B, it's got to be people who buy in they have to believe in your vision too it's pretty tough to to move something forward without people who believe in what you're doing and who clearly understand it so your job is to also communicate it in a way that can get people to say yeah i can see that that would be a great thing and and i want to help you do that okay what about um so now we've got trust on the list What's the next thing that people, that leaders have to do? So we've got lesson number one, trust. What's next lesson number two in execution? Well, and, and probably, honestly, before trust, Martin, you, you've got to bring people around you mm-hmm. to do the different things that need to be done. They need to be people you trust, but it's like, you know, you're going to need finance, right? Mm. You're going to need you know, like what are the what are the functional pieces you need and who's going to do those things? And then assuming that you do a good job of building out your core team and you can trust them, <laughs> then then I think it's, it's how are you gonna pay them, right? How are you gonna yeah, pay them? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, like, you know, where's the money come from? And and I think that I mean, we know that a lot of businesses fail because of undercapitalization, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, what I, one, one thing I learned in the, in the mining game over the years, um, cause you know, I had a, a fairly senior position, uh, when I was with Entree, but what I learned over that time is like, at the end of the day, if somebody wants to write a check, they want to talk to the person, they want to talk to the president mm-hmm. They don't want to talk to the vice president. Mm-hmm. They don't want to, they don't want to talk to a manager. They want to talk to the person who is in charge of getting it over the finish line. Mm-hmm. And that was a very important lesson for me. It, as, a, as a person who has supported a lot of leaders and, you know, mm-hmm. having, having, you know, certainly had, you know, been that person myself, it's, mm-hmm. it's important to understand, like, that is one of the critical, like, as part of the execution piece, mm-hmm. the capitalization part can't be, stressed enough mm-hmm. and and if the leader is typically the person that's bringing the money in so that everybody else frankly can spend it 
It's true. So very true. <laughs> it's either you get investors or you sell or, you know, the best person to sell the vision is the person who has the vision, right? So be out there, be outwards facing, be that visionary CEO. Oh, that's a great one. That's a, so this, the president or CEO is the person who gets the money. Everybody else gets to spend the money. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I've described myself that way. Like you get the money in, I'll figure out how to spend it and get you where you want to go. Ooh. Oh, this is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's well, cause I mean, it's hard, right? You work really hard to, to raise that money, right? Mm. And it's pressure. Right. Yeah. And, and especially when you're at startup phase, every dollar matters. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. and then, but there's also this trade-off I find of sometimes you don't want to spend, you know, $75 an hour for this really great, like, let's say graphic designer, mm -hmm. right. You'll pay, you, you want somebody who's like way less expensive. And I go, well, sometimes you get what you pay for. Oh, not sometimes, all yeah, the right. time. <laughs> or, or how many times, I know this, this is one that's near and dear to my heart because I started off my career as a receptionist. Okay. Right, like I started off my career as, you know, the person at the door. And there's, and I, over the years, I've, I've had this conversation with many people about, you know, how much do you pay the receptionist? And I go, well, it depends on how much turnover you want. <laughs> because the, real, the, the reality is if somebody's really good at the front um, and they're really smart, chances are that's not what they're going to want to do forever. That's right. So you have to part of that. And it's with anything like the admin support side of it. So crucial, right? Like you can have all the great technical minds in the world, but if somebody can't answer the phone or, or make a delivery properly or, you know, track somebody's timesheets, right? Like it doesn't matter. Be how kind. Early. Or just be kind. Yeah, right. Like it's just, it just amazes me. Like you need all of the pieces to make a successful business, right? So I just kind of go like, I, I've seen it where, you know, oh, you know, like that reception, all they do is answer the phone and, you know, send out a package and whatever. And I'm kind of like, okay, well, a, a lot of places I've worked, the person at the front desk is often the glue for the office. Mm -hmm. They know everybody. They see everybody first thing in the morning. They can set the tone of the day by how they are when they're answering the phone or greeting people as they walk in the door, whether it's employees or customers. There's so much confusion. When, let's talk about start with why White Simon Sinek, right? People get confused. Situation is the why. The mission is the what. What's the result? Execution is the how. So. When they look at a job position, they go, what are they going to do? I couldn't give a shit what they do is how do they do it? How do they do it? Do they represent our core values? Because to get to the why, you have to have the how. What? There's what's all around you. So too many people always hire for ask, right? Attitude, skill, knowledge in that order. So. That is a key component. I couldn't, what do they do? Don't matter how they do it. That's the lesson. That's the key component. Oh, how many, I mean, my Greta, so Greta Sanchez, my EA, I don't even have to think. I know what's happening next week, right? I entrust her and she knows what I expect of her and I entrust her with it. Has she made mistakes? Absolutely. Have I, exactly. Do I make mistakes? Absolutely. Have we corrected mistakes? Absolutely. Does she trust me more now that I wasn't a, an a-hole by dumping on her? Absolutely. I was like, wow, Martin's really kind. So what am I going to do? Work harder for him because even if I screw up, so there, the empowerment, facilitate, elevate, there we go. So execution is how. So let's talk about this stigma because I, I, I really want to put a, a women component to this because it's near and dear to my heart. So the backstory, 
Ariel, my daughter, five, how, five years ago we met. I can't remember. Anyways, so Ariel's before she was 10 years old. She wants to, she loves mining. She loves rocks. She wants to be an engineer of some sort. And I was like, okay, you can stand on the sidelines or you can do something. When I saw that only 2% of women were engineer or successful and then in the IT business, programmers were all male. I was like, that is not cool. So in, like in sports, instead of standing on the sidelines, I participate in my, and then I realized, well, I have to stand up and do something. And that's how I met Mona. So I joined the group called Women in Mining, British Columbia, and see how I can help. How could I bring my skills and expertise to create equality between gender? And I think that's very near and dear to my heart. So let's talk about back in the day, you know, let's use some stigma. You're a girl. You're expected to do girl jobs. You're going to be a receptionist. And now, all of a sudden, you're head of operations, you're consultant, you're leading a whole bunch of operations in a male-dominated you know, industry for now. Let's talk about this hot topic. Well, you know, when I was obviously at the mine, uh, you know, because that, that formed a huge foundation of, I think, my belief system just in general, but not very many women, but I have to say there was, um, there was a couple of women that worked underground and they were amazing. And that's a hard job, by the way, for those who oh, don't yeah. know mining, this is, this, it, it's hard for guys, yeah. just let alone it's women. Work. <laughs> it's tough work, but you know, I, I just, I admired them and I, you know, I probably should have told them that, but I was young at the time. So I didn't think about that, but. But I admired them at the time because I thought, good for you. Like, that's so great. I mean, I, I just couldn't see myself doing it. Not that, you know, it just wasn't my vision for yeah, myself. Yeah, it's not male or like, female. Like, you no. go. Like, that's <laughs> awesome, right? And it was so interesting because when I first got there, so my first trip to the mine was in, I think, 1989. And then I started working there in 1990. And even then, there were some guys who refused to go underground if one of the women was underground because there was this whole superstition yeah. about women being underground in a mine. So they, they actually adjusted work schedules for the guys who just were absolutely wouldn't do it. Just idiots. And then the other thing I thought was really neat was um, we had a, a receptionist at the time, um, young girl who had started and she was just a firecracker. And the opportunity came up to be an operator in the mill. And so she applied for it. And I'm like, you go, girl. Like, mm -hmm. absolutely. And she got it. And she was great, as far as I know. Um, but the, I will never forget this one moment, this one story where uh, in the break room, they would have, they had all the pictures, like back in, in the day, because we got the newspapers from Edmonton, because the, the mine was staged out of Edmonton. Mm -hmm. So Edmonton published the, the sun, the Edmonton sun, mm -hmm. and page three was always the sunshine girl. Mm -hmm. And so the guys would take the, the sunshine girl pictures and plaster the break room. Well, then Donna came in, and she was the only woman. But Donna didn't, didn't tell them to take all of the pictures down. She started putting up pictures of the sunshine boy. That's on, yeah, at the back end of the... <laughs> and the guys didn't like it. And oh. she's just like, well... Hold on you know, a second there, boys. I'm not, I'm not telling you to take yours down, but I'm going to, you know, and I just thought, like, what a, what a... I actually thought it was a great way to handle it. You know, back in 1990-whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being the only woman... What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Well, it's just, it's also a kind of thing, again, of, of like making the point in a, like in an impactful way, but not in a disrespectful way. Well, what I like, what she did is she didn't take away anything. She added something to it. She didn't say, hey, boys, stop being goofballs. Take away the picture of nude lady. Yeah. Well, not nude, but, you know, just in... in bikinis or whatever it was right back in the day. I can't remember, but anyways, and she's just saying, I'm not telling you to stop doing something. I want to share in it. You want to look at good looking bodies. I want to look at good looking bodies. What's wrong with that? 
Well, and, and I mean, now you would never do that, right? So yeah, yeah, of course. People that are horrified by the story, like, you know, but in back in that time. Of course. That is, that is what happened. And I just thought like for her, like it, it worked. And eventually the pictures came down. Like, yeah. Because it's just like, oh, you know, like, I don't know. I just, I just thought it was an interesting, it was an interesting story as far as I know that that's yeah. how it eventually evolved for me what i the, the balance has, has shifted in regards a little bit i mean i was i was discriminated on and i sorted it on with one of my clients they said well of course why you can't do this because they're they're um they're mature old caucasian white men and they're closed-minded so i said okay hold on a second am i closed-minded oh not you Okay. Am I white? Yeah. Am I old? Yeah. Oh, so don't generalize. Saying that it's run by, you know, old school guys, it's, it doesn't equate. It's about what's men are different than women. We all agree, but we are all capable of doing the same things and we bring benefit to each other as, as a unit. And that's what a lot of people I find they're afraid of losing stuff, men or women, right? So guys, oh, don't bring women in. Well, no, you add value to the equation regardless. And like, yeah, well, you know what? It's interesting. So I've, I've been, a friend of mine has written a book and I won't, I won't say a lot about it now, but it, it talks a lot about insecurity mm -hmm. and how that can impact people at work. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it's, it's made me think a lot and I'm going, yeah, you know, like even the times that I felt anxious or something, it's because I was worried about an outcome, something, how is it going to impact me? Which kind of, again, if we're talking about executing on a plan, mm -hmm. some of it is like how, getting that clarity, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, like I'm sure there's, there's some folks that are going, Oh, but you haven't talked about mission, vision, values, you know, what, you know, I'm going, I'm, I'm assuming that you've already kind of had that conversation. You've set that tone, yeah. right yeah. now. You're, you're at the place where you're executing, you're, you're moving, you're moving ahead. Right. But again, in the midst of that, you have to, you have to live, eat and breathe those things. They can't mm. just be words on a wall. Agreed. They have to be things that you absolutely fully, full heartedly believe in. And I think people start questioning their role, start questioning how they fit. Um, you know, the trust is part of that. If they don't believe that you are living your values, mm -hmm. if you, if you have said people are your most important asset, that's what you believe in. Well, then all of your decision-making should revolve around that. Yeah, I agree. And if it comes down to, well, I don't want to pay that person, you know, $5 an hour more than somebody else. It's kind of like, you know, I, I was having this discussion recently with somebody, you know, a friend who is having some issues at another company. And I said, well, you know, like the way that I always, I started looking at it over time. And I think this feeds into the execution conversation. It's like when you're, because comp is huge, right? Comp is a huge piece. I understand that. That's crazy. Right? Like comp is, and comp is hard. It's a, it's a tough conversation because not very many people are comfortable talking about money. Mm -hmm. um, but I go certainly from a leader's perspective. And what I try to look at is what value is that role yeah. and that person bringing to the, the organization. And sometimes, so if we get back to the receptionist example, I'm going, if I've got somebody who loves being at the front, because I, I have worked with people who they love being at the front. Yeah. They love seeing everybody. They love talking to everybody. I've talked to them. They don't want to move. Yeah. And I'm going, okay, I figure out ways to, to compensate them. Sometimes you can't always do it with the base salary. Mm -hmm. But I do as much as I can, or you can do other things, right? Because mm -hmm. comp is also about vacation time or sick time or benefits or, you know, in our case, in the company options, right? Like, like you've got lots of ways to do it, but you're going like, 
what is the value, mm-hmm. right? And if you're, if you're trying to compare two positions and one is typically paid more than the other, but in your particular company, they both have equal value. Well, then just the pay is, is com- comparable and everybody needs to understand what the contribution is, right? Like, it's, like letting people make up their own stories is always a bad idea, right? Yeah. Oh, it's from, I don't understand in this day and age, when you talk about attitude, skill, and knowledge, right? I don't understand how they can validate paying a woman less than a man. I don't. Like, oh, how do you? And, but it happens all the time. I, well, but you know what? I saw this. I saw this thing. So I'm kind of addicted to LinkedIn. So I get a lot of articles that come to me over LinkedIn because I like that's 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 addiction is a different topic, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's 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 you know, I I check into LinkedIn most days. Yeah. Um, And of course, the algorithm is working now. So it's bringing me articles that I want to read. That you want. (laughs) But I uh, but I recently saw an article or like a comment or something that said, you know, women ask for less. So they get less. And I went, I, what I think, a load of horseshit. Well, I think there's I think there's some truth to that because sometimes it's hard to know what your value is. Mm. But I also think on the other side, why not pay a fair salary? Like why just pay less because the person, whether it's a man or a woman, frankly, said, Oh, I'll, t- I'll, I'll take 50 grand a year, but really you were thinking 55. And I know there's some people that are going to go like, well, that's crazy. And I'm going, but you know what? Like if you want to have, in my opinion, an organization where if you want to execute, and especially if you want people to work really hard and give you extra, then they have to know that you have their back. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. They have to know that you are there in good times and bad, and you will do whatever you can. Right. Circle of safety. Circle. And I and I think that when somebody doesn't understand their value, why not help them understand that? Mm-hmm. Because I think you'll get that back over time, more so than because if they discover that somebody next door is making more money than them and they're doing virtually the same job. That's never going to, that's never. And yeah, and that's not a, that's not a male, female. I mean, for me, the Scandinavian countries are are on it as always. Transparency, same job, same, same salary. You got one year more experience, you get paid. It's a little bit more transactional, but at least it's open and transparent. Everybody knows who gets paid and how much they get paid. You know, that's something that I always don't understand why North America is, we're so big on negotiations and making the most money as possible. So I, I have a hard time with that. I usually- Well, it's open. a balance, right? I mean, obviously you don't want to pay everybody so much you're not making any money. You're not having a profit. I get that. But I also, you know, like, like a lot of years ago, I remember being part of conversa- budget conversations. And I remember finally saying to the management team, I'm going, well, if we can't afford to pay people, what are we doing? Yeah, exactly. Like, like if you're, if you're trying to ask your team to give up their salary, like, I think you need, we need to take a step back and go like, okay, how did we get here? Mm -hmm. Why are we here? And why is cutting staff salaries the first thing? Oh, I, I'm. You know, oh. and I mean, this was years ago, but I'm just going, it's just my experience, but I've seen that. And I go, and I remember having the conversation, I'm going, well, like, how about if we look for another way? Like, maybe there's a way that we can, um, you know, because obviously negotiating with suppliers is fine. I mean, one of the things I did, for example, in the early days with Entree, because um, uh, I was like one of the first employees there, mm-hmm. you know, we started off pretty small. But in the early days, and I'm sure there's some accountants that are going to say that it's crazy for doing this, but, you know, the CFO and I talked and we agreed that in the early days, we paid all of our suppliers as soon as the invoices came in. We were small. There wasn't a lot of invoices. There wasn't a lot of bills. 
But having been through it in a past life, I said, you know what, I want to pay everybody really well now while we can, because if times get tough, exactly, I want to have some goodwill built up because they know that you're we're good, good for, for it. it. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes things go sideways. And you know what, I want to, I'd like to get some stuff, I'd like to get some trust in the bank there to go like, if things go badly, you know that we're honorable, like we, we yeah. care about this relationship. Yeah, I mean, let, let's bring it back to execution, right? When Miss Harris got as vice president for the US, right? Tracy and I got this big, I, I explore all aspects, right? And I was like, how fair is it for her? Is she being judged on her ability to perform? Because everybody's saying, oh, it's, she's the first woman, woman of color to be a vice president. Why can't you say she's the vice president because she's good at it? Right? And I'm not, yeah, saying, I'm not saying either or, right? And everybody's making a big deal. I said, what about all the other female leaders that the German chancellor, all of the Scandinavian countries have a female lady, a female lady, a female uh, leader. New Zealand. New Zealand was reelected as well. So, and the list goes on. And I said, okay, yeah, you know what? It's a big deal for the U.S. because um, of everything that's happened before. But how fair is it to her that she wasn't evaluated on her ability to execute, but that the fact that she's a lady? I, I don't find it fair. Now, it's a big hot topic, in, and because we like to debate in my family, so it was a big hot topic. Well, of course, it's important because it's the first woman of color to be yeah. I'm not saying no, but I'm saying, what about her merit? Is, is her merit, and so we got in a big kerfuffle. So what's your opinion on Mrs. Harris's election? It, as you know, they won the election. Are you proud? Are you not proud? Are you, is it a move forward? What, what are your thoughts? Well, for me, because I'm a, I'm a believer that we need more women in positions of leadership. Period. I think with period. Um, frankly, I think, you know, certainly in the, if I take it to the mining industry, we need mm -hmm. more women in mining, period, at all levels. There's, there's a huge movement across the spectrum right now for women to be on boards and in leadership positions. And I'm going, well, to build that pipeline, we need to have women enter mm -hmm. the industry and, be, and feel safe and supported through their entire career. And why is it important to have more women in leadership roles and, and to be able to execute? Why is that important? Because we're half the population. Okay. What do you bring to the table? Because I'm going to be concrete in business. I... For me, sometimes I couldn't care less if it's a man or a woman, but well, what's the attitude? No, what I mean by is no, no, but but I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say like there's a lot of people that say that I've been a woman in business for a long time. I have seen different treatment, and sometimes it's very subtle. And I think some men who think they're enlightened thought that they were being great. Gotcha. But there's time you're not going to push back. You're not, and frankly. Um, you're not going to, you're not going to bring it up every single time it happens. Otherwise, like sometimes there's days where it's so many, like, like you can't even count. And I mean, that's, that's, that's being a privileged woman. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it. So imagine what it's like, you know, I, you know, I, I can't even speak into that. All I can, all I can say is my own experience mm -hmm. and just the, the bit that I've experienced and the comments that have been made to me in my career. Like, it just, like, there's days where you just, I can't believe that. Like, you know, you're old enough to be my dad, right? Like, you just, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a tough one. But I mean, getting back to the reality of it, mm -hmm. in my opinion, um, women are more than capable Absolutely. of being in leadership roles. I would say for me personally, the the strongest teams and the teams that I've enjoyed working on the most have been a diverse group, not only with gender, but also with background. Absolutely. Good. Um, ethnicity, uh, education, training, what like it's just when you have when you have the benefit of diversity of thought and diversity of 
upbringing, diversity of background, diversity mm -hmm. of like, it's just, it's so much better and stronger. Absolutely. You know, it's sometimes tough to do that overnight, but, um, you know, so for example, um, I am not an engineer, a geologist, a lawyer, or an accountant. And I have somehow managed to make my way in the mining industry. And I was the chair <laughs> of the Association for Mineral Exploration, and I'm not a geologist. But I love the industry. I love the people in the industry. And I believed very strongly. I volunteered, well, I still volunteer with AME, but I, I, I've, I've done a lot of work volunteering with AME and then now with Women in Mining. Um, trying to be the change from within, right? Um, supporting other women as much as possible. Um, trying to, to lift everybody up, frankly, men or women, mm -hmm. to be the best they can be. Because everybody has moments of self-doubt. Um, I think, you know, sometimes women self-select because our industry doesn't necessarily always offer um, a welcoming hand mm -hmm. i would say sometimes it depends on the company right like there's some companies that that do great and some that don't. it's like everything right mm -hmm. um it's across the board but i mean i think the if all of us are just more mindful and uh, i mean <laughs> to, to bring it at, you know kind of full circle to execute well you have to have diverse experience, diverse. So you have a 360 approach to execution, not just at the leadership level, yeah. but at the execution. Well, I should say at the, at the planning phase and at the execution phase, right? So how do you execute your vision is by having a diverse approach to your vision and a diverse way of exploring it and executing on it. Right. And that's kind of the full circle that we've brought it on here. Um, leaders are learners, Mona. Always. What I don't say leaders are readers because I'm dyslexic and I haven't written my book yet. So I'm just going to say leaders are learners. <laughs> no, I'm holding it back. <laughs> just for everybody that's listening. A few years ago, I challenged Martin to write a book. I even told him I would help. I would edit it. I would help him with it because I think he should write a book. Okay. So you, put comments if you want me to write a book. <laughs> If we go, if we go over a thousand votes, I'll write my book. Uh, the reason, uh, so the, the podcast will be able to extrapolate and I'll pay somebody to, to listen to the podcast and extrapolate everything so that we can write, write a book. Well, you should so, only write a book if you really want to, but I, still I yes, I really do. I enjoy writing. <laughs> I, for me, the, 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 the opportunity to have women and and men like you, Mona, to be able to discuss hot topics. And if somebody is listening and they're learning something and they feel that they need to take action, because really it's about translating strategy into frontline operations as we committed. And that's the gift that I want to give the listeners as well. So that thank you very much. I will keep it on the to-do list for sure. So what are you learning right now? What are you looking to improve? or today, or looking to do in, in the year, the months or the year to come? Well, I continually read about leadership and management. So which one is it? Which one are you? Are you well, leadership to Hopefully. inspire others, management, just like mostly about tools. Okay. Right? Like I, I feel like sometimes like there's better ways to do things and I don't know always just know like at the are. farm, right? Just like with Yeah, the right. Like, <laughs> so I'm I'm always, you know, learning technology. I mean, Zoom is a pretty new thing for me. Um so what's the know, latest thing on my phone? It's like you know, it, it's it's so just stuff like that. I mean, leading I'm I'm always reading about leadership because I talk to people about it a lot. Okay. And I've mentored a number of people. So I, I feel like that helps me. So what's your top leadership book? Off the top of your head. Boom. Done. Right now. Well. <laughs> Come on. Pick one. Which one is the one that, that, that has. I'm looking, at, I'm looking at my bookshelf. I'm not very good at being put on the spot, I guess. 
There's so many. How do you decide? I like anything by Adam Grant. Let's put it that way. Adam Grant. Adam Grant it is cool. Yeah. Where yeah. do where do people get a hold of you? Or how do they get a hold of you? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. You'll find me on LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah, because you may not agree with everything that I I click on there, and that's okay, but that's where you'll find me. Fabulous. Well, Mona, thank you so very much for being on the show. Much appreciated. Love the debate. Love how we really worked around and, and got deep on analyzing how to really execute on the vision. I mean, that's what you and I do every day. And then um, equality, diversity, hot topic. I mean, we could go on for hours and hours with this. Right? Hey, if, if somebody's listening and we've been able to, push somebody to get better at it, then it's good. So thank you very much again, I'm Mona. This is Martin Hunter, your host of What CEOs Talk About show. I always forget, Mona. You have to like and subscribe. I'm going to get killed <laughs> by my marketing team. You got to say it, Martin. You got to say how people. So iTunes, all of that, LinkedIn, Instagram, go it, like it, don't like it. Give me feedback. Tell me how much you like me or dislike me. Feedback is a gift. So thank you very much, Mona. And everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to What CEOs Talk About. Make sure to click subscribe to get notified about future episodes or check us out at www.whatceostalkabout.com.